This show is pre-recorded and furnished by Frasier Productions. Welcome to The Deciders with Renee Frazier. This is Renee Frazier, the founder and CEO of Frazier Communications. We're the leading woman-owned and woman-led advertising communications firm in Southern California. At Frazier Communications, we specialize in changing behaviors to help grow brands and to have a positive impact on society. You've been hearing our messaging around COVID-19 as we work with the Department of Public Health, and you probably see our messages on television, radio, outdoor, and digitally. The messages are for First 5 California. Talk, read, sing. It changes everything. It's one of our great campaigns, alerting parents to the importance of the early years of life for brain development for children and to help them in achievement in school. So don't forget to talk, read, and sing to your young children, even uh, the first days they're born. And, and the first 90, 120 days are the most important days of brain development. So don't forget to talk, read, and sing. But let's turn to the show, The Deciders. On the show, we feature change agents in their community, people who give us insights that apply to our businesses and help us better understand how to be change agents ourselves in our community. On The Deciders, we ask people to share their stories, the decisions they make every day, and how those decisions and their efforts impact society as well as their business. In today's world, we've been seeing organizations and communities looking at new ways to address some of the serious problems that have been uncovered in our country. I think they're cracks that we're seeing in the system, particularly those related to systemic racism in our country. It's become very evident as we started to look at the health numbers in the United States. Uh, we know that COVID-19 is infecting people of color at three times the rate of white people. It's Hispanic, or Latino, and uh, African-American people. And we know that the death rate is twice as high among African-Americans as it is for whites. That's not the way it should be, and that's not just because of the COVID-19. It has a lot to do with the existing health system and racism that is built into our system. It's a complex problem, not easy one to tackle, but we want to talk about ways we can address address this, how we can be vigilant in changing things that are sustainable. And there are many organizations trying to approach this from different angles. One of these, we're going to be talking with one of the co-founders today, and that is Black Women Rally for Action. It's a coalition of diverse organizations and individuals who are dedicated to advancing the health, economic, and social well-being of all Los Angeles County black women. And that means direct action and advocacy. Here to talk about Black Women Rally for Action is one of the co-founders and co-chair, Afuru Flowers. Afuru, welcome to The Deciders. Thank you, Renee. Thank you for having me. Well, I'm delighted to have you here. Let's talk about how the group got started. The organization, again, is Black Women Rally for Action. I love the action words there. How did the organization get started? So we got started in 2019 um, after having seen the health report card from L.A. County that showed Black women's health grades were far below that of other uh, groups of, of people. And, you know, it's really painful and, 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 and sad to a certain degree to see that. And so we decided we needed to create an organization to address some of these issues um, in our community. So the group came together. It's, how many women are part of the group as Black Women Rally for Action in Los Angeles County? And in the images I see on the website, 10, 12, yeah. 14 of you? 
Yeah, there there are about fourteen of us, um, and you know we're looking to to add more folks to our group. But just in terms of our organization itself, it's about fourteen women, and we're working with other organizations as well. You know, depending on um, the area of focus. So in the in, beginning, so, yeah. in the beginning, your focus was on women's health and maternal health. Were you able to change anything? Did you bring awareness to the report? Tell us what you did in that first period before we got struck with COVID and coronavirus. Well, really, it was just about organizing ourselves, right, and and, and really finding those areas of focus that we wanted to uh, to spend time on. And so, really, COVID became the first area that really drove us into action. Um, so really for us, it was about organizing in the very beginning. And uh, let me ask you about that. I mean, as it as it came upon us here in the scene in Los Angeles County in March, what was your first effort? Were you concerned about awareness and education or what, what was the thing you saw as the most important thing to begin with? Well, definitely awareness and education. Um, I think for many folks, no matter what community you you, you reside, there was a lot of confusion, you know, and people really trying to figure out, like, what is this COVID thing? You know, what is the reaction from our government officials? Uh, you know, what is the information coming out that we need to digest and then act from? And so for us, um, it's really when our social media presence became really active. As we found out information, um, we shared that information with the community, which is where we see our strength is when we talk about action. I think that's great. I think it's important to be able to disseminate the information and do it from uh, trusted sources. This is one of the strategies that we use a lot in our communications uh, plans for clients. We work with the Department of Public Health, and a lot of the uh, efforts were giving the information to different groups who could then disseminate it uh, on their own channels and their own social media. When you look for education on COVID-19, did you turn to the CDC and the County Department of Public Health? Where did you gain most of your information? Definitely the CDC, um, DHS, um, um, all the relevant sort of factual places where you gain information, but certainly the CDC. Good. Good. Now, we know that they've recently reported, uh, there's been a national study, and before that there was a study produced by the Advancement Project about the inequities and the health issues, why blacks are becoming sicker and dying at a, at a much higher race, uh, a, rate, a rate, I should say. Can you talk a little bit about that and what you see happening in that data, why you think that's the case? So it's really interesting because I think, obviously, black folks as a whole know that there is systemic racism. We deal with it every single day in every area of our life. Um, and when COVID comes around, it, it actually magnifies for us maybe what some of these issues are. Um, and that, in fact, um, systematic racism or sy systemic racism, you know, is part of the problem. You know, I always, one of our COVID, our first COVID stories was by a woman who, a young woman uh, who's a frontline worker who, um, when she, she got ill, went to the hospital. And before she went to the hospital, she called 911 to come and get her. And first question they asked is, what is your race? Like, what race are you? And are you sure you're sick? Um, and when she does finally get to the hospital, uh, she's not taken seriously. Um, oh. She is, is is literally laughed at. 
Um, there was a, a, a Hispanic woman and a white woman who's also there. Um, uh, and the, and the, the black woman and the Hispanic woman were sent home. The white woman stayed. And so there were all these little anecdotal things that she mm-hmm. told in her story that just sort of reminded us of why we probably have some of the highest rates of death from COVID. Uh, and it's because when people see us, they see something different. They see something that um, doesn't allow for empathy or understanding or other things that are involved in systemic racism. And so, you know, it was a, it was one of the big aha moments for, for, for a lot of us to actually be able to put those two things together. Yeah, I think that's important to talk about that. And I know people in the medical field need to be taught that in school. You, you have to really work hard to prevent the um, bias from interfering with your judgment. And what you're saying, I think, is that uh, for whatever reason, they see a black face and they don't trust, they don't listen as well, they don't believe, they don't act on it. For some reason, they're not taking the same action they take with another. We, we do know that there is bias. All of us have bias about different kinds of people, different backgrounds, based on the way we're raised, the way we experience things. But uh, when you're a professional dealing with people and being of service, I think it's part of your responsibility to remove the bias, right, to work hard to overcome it and to be cognizant of it. Uh, I, I, we have done a, a series of uh, focus groups for um, on the healthcare side. We worked with um, a number of health systems like UCLA and Cedar sinai And maybe six years ago, we did a series of uh, focus groups on market research with women. We did women of color. We did women in mixed groups. We did groups in Spanish. And the intent behind it was to identify whether or not women would be willing to participate in clinical trials. As you probably know, most of the medical research was conducted on men, and particularly white men, and unfortunately some very serious trials on, on black men inappropriately, as we know, and, and black women. We can talk about that also. But in, in this particular case, the doctors were trying to create a pool of women who would participate in research on heart, lung, uh, cancer, et cetera, in clinical trials so that they had data on how the uh, the drugs or the interventions worked with women, not just with men. So we gained some insights as to how do we get people into the pool and be willing to be a part of clinical trials. Well, the focus group with the black women was one of the most interesting. Many of them didn't trust going to the doctor. And I think they see some of the prejudice we're talking about. But have you experienced that as well, where you feel that some people just don't want to go to the doctor out of a genuine and deserved mistrust? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's one of the, the, the biggest things I would say about, about our community is trust. We, we have good reason not to trust our government officials in, in, a, in a certain light, but also just the system itself. It's always sort of worked against us work to keep us in a particular place mm-hmm. and not for our best, int- uh, you know, for our best uh, interest and definitely not for our best health outcomes when you talk about these types of, these types of testing um, and, and experimentation. Um, it's, it's why we, even when we're talking about COVID and what's best to do for ourselves COVID, during COVID, it's coming from the CDC, but it doesn't mean that we, we're, we're going to trust it 100%. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And so that's why organizations like Black Women Rally for Action come into play, because we need to be able to sort of have these these conversations, have our quiet conversations out loud. Um, it's it, it's critical uh, to our survival. We feel. How do we how do we pressure politicians uh, to to make change happen in those conversations and and to advocate? What what do you recommend and what is the group doing? Well, I mean, you know, it's part of it is 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 public pressure, right? And when there are times we feel like public pressure should be, like in this era of testing right now, there should be more pressure. Um, on politicians to do something, but there's a, there's a point at which it's a question for all of us, right? Like what does it take to move a politician off the dime to do something about uh, these things, to do something for people who are in desperate times. And, um, and so for, for us, we feel it's most important to, like I said before, uh, communicate what's important. And, you know, it's, when people get really fed up and upset, um, when we see what's happening around um, the George Floyd situation, you know, of course, we see those are times when politicians do something. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's, it's a difficult question to really answer in terms of what do we do to get politicians? Because, you know, of course, there's letter writing campaigns and there's all kinds of things that organizations do that um, many times don't work. So um, can I suggest something to you? I mean, one of the things that I think should be done is accountability. And uh, so we have a number of, you know, we have a a five person board of supervisors and uh, we should be asking them to make sure that testing is being done equally in all communities and ask them to prove that those tests are being conducted in South L.A. and East L.A. and not just in affluent areas and hold them accountable. I think that's one of the important things. You ask for certain things and then you want to make sure that they actually happen and measure it. I, I will say this. When my, when COVID-19 came out, we were working with the Department of Public Health. I was contacted by a black doctor who had formed an organization called a shared harvest, and the organization brought together a number of, of, of doctors of color to do tests in low-income areas for free. They call it My mm-hmm. COVID MD, and they wanted to get funding through the Department of Public Health. But I knew they, it would be very difficult to do that during the period of March when they were not paying attention to the uh, the funding request. They were just acting as they had to in the community. So I actually made a large donation to help them do the testing, and I'm pleased to see now they tell me every week they go out and how many tests they do in the community. So I do think one way to make change is make politicians accountable for specific behaviors that we know are needed. So testing is really important. Well, I mean, I think it's great that you you made a large donation, and I think that that's one of the other areas that um, that's really important that we feel is important is holding foundations and funding sources accountable, right? Because a lot of times money that and funding uh, sources that are given out to some of these organizations aren't, isn't enough. There is a form of, of, uh, of racial uh, bias uh, that goes into some of, some of these decisions on where the resources should go. And so I, for us, we, we also uh, are striving to hold foundations and funding sources 
um, uh, to account as well. As well, that's yeah. really good. I think I think you're. That's really smart to do that. I think when you when you look at what's happened as a result of uh, the terrible deaths, including George Floyd's death, there's going to be actions that have to be taken. And you've seen a lot of the foundations put money on the table. So I think you're right. It's going to be where is that money going? Make sure it doesn't go to the same usual suspects, meaning the same organizations, but new organizations, and asking for support for your programs. Is there do you see yourselves uh, setting up or, or organizing behind particular groups that might be fighting this bias? In other words, uh, not necessarily with money, but with awareness, like, please support these three organizations. We've vetted them. Uh, they're, they're run by people we know. They're doing work in the communities where it's most valued, and they deserve the, the support. Is there a way of selecting and helping those organizations that you might do as a group? Absolutely. Um, you know, we are in partnership with the National Council of Negro Women, or not in partnership, but we work with this organization. Um, they do a wonderful job of getting out the word to their community and offering resources. The American Red Cross just contacted them um, uh, to hold a, a big blood drive on August 5th at their, at their, um, at their location. Um, and they're going to be doing uh, a number of things. Um, I don't know if they're going to be testing. I'm still trying to figure that part out. Um, but that's an organization that we work with. There's the Black Women uh, for Wellness group and the Black Women's Health Project, um, a group that we also uh, uh, really trust. And so, um, you know, that's part of what we want to do and what we've been doing is working with some of these organizations to get out these their messages because there are a number of groups and we feel like we're, uh, we're a, a bullhorn for uh, uh, and a clearinghouse in some ways uh, for a lot of these resources to get through to, to our community. That's really good. You know, I think that's really good. You can use your voices to uh, guide resources to them, right? As you said, you can raise their visibility and shine a light on them. I'm, I'm happy to hear about these groups because uh, in the COVID-19 work, I expect it's going to continue, unfortunately, for many many months to come into 2021, and there's going to be a need to disseminate information to these groups. So um, we're going to be working with Gwen. We hope to be able to do that with Gwen Young, another one of your members, and be good to know about these groups as a way to get the word out. I think that's really important. Now, when you ask for people to help and support what you're doing, how can they get involved? They can help with conversation. They can help by donating money. Tell, tell us how people can be a part of this group. Well, uh, and support you. Well, uh, yes, well, absolutely. I mean, the resources uh, are super important, right, because it helps us to do the work on the ground. Oftentimes we hear that our community is hard to reach um, or, you know, uh, these underserved communities uh, that for some reason people find hard to help. Well, there are organizations on the ground who are doing the work, and so definitely um, giving resources uh, and funding to these organizations is really, really, really important. We know, you know, what to say uh, culturally. We know how to communicate in a way that makes a difference. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and also just with um, getting the word out, helping us get the word out, what you're doing, I think it's really important um, as well. I think the media plays a role um, in helping to not only uplift our voices, uh, but, uh, you know, take us seriously, you know, mm -hmm. uh, listen to what we're mm -hmm. saying, because many times we feel like we're not being listened to. Um, and uh, we're all in this together. When we talk about COVID, anybody can get COVID. 
but, you know, if you listen to what we're saying, I think it really helps everybody at the end of the day. And so listen to us. Um, join our organizations. Partner with our organizations. Many times we're, we're asked, you know, what can we do to help? Well, be part of our organizations. They're not just black organizations, but they're there to help the black community. So that's another way I think that people uh, can really help. Um, that's uh, really good. Really good. I think you're right. Uh, people can join and be, be uh, educate themselves as part of the dialogue, which I think is important. Um, you know, when we when we look at systemic racism in the healthcare system, there's a lot of evidence that uh, this starts very early with trauma, even in their lives. The uh, Surgeon General. Uh, is a wonderful woman. Her name is Dr. Nadine Burke Harris, and she is a pediatrician herself, a black woman, and she uh, has a family but also has been investigating research on trauma for children for many years. And the evidence is very clear. She's gone through these uh, systemic studies of uh, of um, uh, physical outcomes as a result of trauma. And you see increases in hypertension, obesity, you see diabetes in communities where there's high instances of trauma. And as a matter of fact, she has coined a term called the four ACEs, and these are when you have adverse critical situations to children. If they happen very early in their lives, unfortunately, you can predict serious problems, health outcomes later on. However, the good news is there have actually been interventions where an adult is part of their lives who is caring and very uh, uh, close to the child, and it, it muffles, and those are her words, it muffles the impact. So you really can't have an antidote for the situation but I fear in a lot of the situations uh, or a lot of the families we see, um, folks are in situations where they've endured uh, a terrible trauma early in life, which may have caused some pre-existing conditions. They're also our first line of defense, healthcare workers, right? 65% of the people in the healthcare situations fighting COVID are people of color. 65%. So uh, those are the folks that are so brave. They go in to do the testing. They're in to take care of people when they're ill, and they're putting their lives in jeopardy for us. So we owe those people a tremendous debt of, uh, of, of gratitude and, and, and owe them really good treatment as a result of it. I, I honestly believe it's hazard pay. They should be receiving extra funds yeah. and, of course, of course, all the PPP that they need and, of course, um, the right kinds of uh, masks, etc. And I'll stop and get off my soapbox. But I, do you agree with me that this is one of the reasons we see the, the high incidence? Oh, absolutely. You know, and, you know, this is generational, generational, the trauma. Uh, and I think we can all agree that generational trauma compacted year after year, century, you know, or, or, or uh, years after years. Um, is is enough to uh, make people sick, but that yes. these yes. folks are also on our front lines, um, uh, enduring even more pressure and stress um, to take care of people and to save people's lives, to give of themselves in that way. For sure, I, I definitely agree. Um, you know, I agree. It's, it's a serious problem. But before we, we yeah. finish, I wanted to make sure we got to talk about your uh, production, Flourishing Film. And this sure. is a company that really focuses on producing and distributing a black content, right, to domestically and internationally. Can you talk okay. a little bit about the stories you collect and why you're doing this? 
Yeah, I mean, the stories are really sort of everyday uh, human stories that take place from from Black folks' perspective. Um, I like to call them global films because uh, they're just like any other film, but just with our stories, um, stories that people can relate to. And so whether it's a documentary um, on a German Black woman who is a theater actress uh, living the, the ends of her life, in solitude, or it's about a, an African-American girl from the streets of Harlem who, who's trying to get into Harvard and the struggles behind that, you know, or it's about an LGBTQ kid from Trinidad and Tobago uh, who is trying to come out to, to, to his parents. Um, the stories are universal. Um, they're moving. They're for all audiences, and they help us to be part of the, conver- the global conversation Feel like I feel like film is an art that allows us to to to, to talk to other folks to share our stories. Really and, important. And Sharing stories like yeah. that is the best way to understand another person's life, right? And be able to live in their shoes. Absolutely. Do you also have COVID COVID nineteen stories that you can share? And can you tell us where people can go to see those? Yes. Yeah, so for Black Women Rally for Action, uh, we we produce what's called our COVID stories. And you can find that on our YouTube page, uh, Black Women Rally for Action. Thank you. Afuru Flowers has been speaking to us about Black Women Rally for Action, L.A. County. She's one of the founders and the co-chair. Thank you so much for being on the show. And let me remind people to go to YouTube and look for Black Women Rally for Action, L.A. County, to see these stories and also to find ways to support them as a volunteer or as a donor. Thank you all for listening to The Deciders with Renee Frazier. As you know, Frazier Communications is a full-service advertising and communications firm. You can contact us at FraserCommunications.com to learn more. And our broadcasts are available as podcasts on FraserCommunications.com. Thank you for listening. Stay safe and stay well. See you next week on The Deciders with Renee Frazier. This is a message from Dr. Barbara Ferrer of the Los Angeles County Department of Public Health. When you're with others who are not from your household, wear a cloth face covering. Always make sure your hands are clean before and after you touch your face covering. And wear a clean cloth face covering every day. Learn more at publichealth.lacounty.gov. To learn more about how you can protect yourself from COVID-19, go to publichealth.lacounty.gov. Brought to you by the Los Angeles County Department of Public Health. This show is pre recorded and furnished by Frazier Productions.